what do we mean when we say positive caregiving and how can we become a better caregiver and care receiver? That's what we're going to talk about right here, right now with Dr. Sarah Teton Cantor on Polly Campbell Simply Said. Hello, 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 and welcome to Polly Campbell Simply Said. I'm Polly, and this is the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. And that means helping each other out along the way. Really, learning how to care for one another, support each other is essential if we're going to live well and feel good in our lives and make a positive difference in the world. How we provide that support and care to each other makes a difference. I'm thinking about this a lot as I get older, and my parents are getting older too. What kind of help do they need? What does that look like? How can I provide the care that they need in a way that empowers them and develops a positive connection between the two of us? And what can I actually do? What are my skills? What can I bring to them? I'm thinking about all this as I go through the world now. At a time when people are living longer and also living longer with complex conditions, we need to learn how to do this together. So aging and caring for one another can be uh, reframed as more of a positive experience rather than one that is burdensome or stressful. So we're going to get all into it today. I have the expert Dr. Sarah Teton Cantor here to help us understand this dynamic of giving and receiving care. Dr. Teton Cantor is the founder and CEO of Positive Caregiving, an organization focused on making caregiving and care receiving a positive experience. Did you catch the difference there? Caregiving and care receiving. Got to work on it on both sides, right? And it can be an opportunity for personal growth. She holds a doctorate and master's degree in gerontology from the University of Nebraska, Omaha, and she is the author of Positive caregiving. Dr. Teton Cantor, welcome to Simply Said. Thank you for having me, Polly. I love the way you talk about your work, your caregiving. One thing I like is what I touched on in the intro, you really reframe this dynamic. On your website even, it struck me when I was doing my research, you say there are 40 million people caring for loved ones in the United States. And then you say, think about all that love. That's an angle we miss, right? We think about all we have to do and how long the to-do list is and how we're going to fit it all in and and just getting them to give up their car keys or getting them to the doctor or whatever we need around our schedule when really it's an opportunity to learn how to love each other in a different way at a different stage in life. Is that how you see it? That is absolutely how I see it. And It's why I embarked on writing the book and starting this organization, because I think it is. um, Everyone ages. No one is beyond disease. No one is beyond death. Life is finite. And so how do we make the most of it while we're here together? I love it. You say caregiving or aging in particular is not a problem to be resolved. Instead, you talk about creating this dynamic with each other. So receiving care and learning how to do that, which is tricky, right? I want to talk about that today. But you talk about receiving care is as important as learning how to give it appropriately. Why do you draw the distinction with both those things? Well, I think the narratives around caregiving and, and 
aging in America are often one-sided and talk a lot about the caregiver and talk about caregiver burden and, and all of the things that go along with adapting to an aging relative and the challenges that may arise. The reality is that we are all still alive. There's many things to enjoy, many um, experiences to be had, even when we're faced with the challenges that come with aging and with caring for our older loved ones. A lot of times the narratives that arise that are negative are um, driven by the beginning of a caregiving relationship. When you're thrown into a situation where a loved one might have an acute injury or an acute disease and it disrupts your life. And those little life disruptions can be stressful and um, challenging, but with the right tools and the right mindset, we can turn them into an opportunity, not only to deepen our relationships with our loved ones, but for our own personal growth and building our own resilience for a lifetime. I love that thought and that idea because given the choice, I hope my parents are around long enough so that I can support them in whatever they need. That is the gift to me. So. I, I mean, the alternative is not one I want to think about. So if I can find ways where I can support them, but also benefit from the relationship myself, right? I'm, I'm in my fifties. I still feel like I have a whole lot to learn from my parents and I still enjoy being with them. And, but it's an interesting dynamic, Sarah, because, um, they are aging, they're at a different stage where they notice they're aging more than I notice mine right now. And so we've been in situations where I'm helping them because I would help anyone that needed to carry heavy boxes to the car, right? I want people to help me carry heavy boxes or suitcases to the car. So now when I'm helping them, sometimes it's perceived as me assuming that they can no longer carry the heavy boxes. And I'm not in that mindset at all yet, right? So mm -hmm. how do we start talking about this with each other before the problems occur or before the bigger, like the acute injury or the illness occurs? Well, I love that question because those conversations aren't happening enough, in my opinion. Um, and like you said, people don't like to think about those things, you know? But I do think that there is a lot of value in having the conversations. And one of the things, and I think this goes to why the narrative around caregiving and even aging is um, has a little bit of a negative slant, is that we tend to, especially in America, associate aging with our biological aging, so our physical aging, rather than um, the holistic humans that we are. We age emotionally and socially and spiritually. We age in all these different ways, but we tend to focus on that physical side of aging, which, um, you know, if you're in the midst of it, I mean, I have aging parents too. There's always issues. There's, you know, the falls or the, the aches and the pains that make it more difficult. And so that keeps that physical aging top of mind. So as a, you know, daughter or son or niece or nephew or anyone, we can help people think about their aging experience more holistically by talking about some of the other aspects that, that come along with just being human. I think that's interesting. Um, I, 
Yes. So as we age, sometimes, oftentimes, different sensory experiences and our, our joints and muscles change. And sometimes that doesn't feel as good or it's it's certainly not the same. But I think we forget, as you said, that our minds and our emotional resilience and all these other things are changing too for the better. Like things in my 50s now that used to have me under the bed, it's a blip on my, my life is so much more fun now because I just don't give a rip about certain things, right? Right. So my body is a little more achy, but we forget that the rest of it is also improving. I'm growing up a little bit, I guess, in my 50s. Indeed. And we never stop growing. And I think that's an important message too, that, you know, as 50-year-olds or as 85-year-olds, we never stop growing. And that includes, I think this is an important point too, is that includes even people who are living with changes to their cognitive um, abilities. So people living with dementia, a lot of times, I mean, again, this also fuels a negative narrative around aging. There's a small percentage of people that will have cognitive changes as they get older, but that doesn't keep people from living an important, significant, um, joyful life. And I think that's another message that we really need to tell people is that, and this is what a lot of people who are living with cognitive disorders have been trying to say for many years is that we are still here. We are still enjoying life. We are still growing. We are still making relationships. Um, and, and so that's just another aspect of that I think, um, contributes to that negative narrative around aging. Yeah, I think that's an important point. We we can't overlook the humanity and the purposefulness. I mean, people want to feel purposeful, right? And we even with then some cognitive decline, you're saying that we can still create and foster environments where everybody feels connected and purposeful and growing. Yeah, you said that perfectly. Well, see, this is why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I don't have the credentials in front of my name. How did you start looking at this? How did you get into this field of work? Yeah, it's, um, well, I think a lot of, ever, most people have experienced um, times in their lives where they're, you take a step back and say, what am I doing with my life? So I'd been working in technology for a few, um, for a decade plus, and I got pregnant with my first child, my only child. And it was a time in life when I kind of took a step back and said, what am I doing? Am I doing what I want to be doing? Am I living my life according to my values? What um, is my passion? And I'd always been interested in the aging process and in older adults. And so um, I left my career and I said, I'm going to take a few classes just to explore gerontology. And I started um, at the university here in Nebraska, and that turned into a master's degree. And then it almost snowballed into this philosophical, spiritual adventure that I was just trying to seek out answers about, you know, what matters most in life and what's the aging process like and what does it mean to be closer to death and all of those things? And then it turned into a doctorate degree and here I am. So. Yeah, that's more than a few classes, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, it was another decade long experience. Jeez, but how interesting also, I, I talk a lot about the show. We, My listeners, I hear from them too. Like 
going down that rabbit hole and experimenting and trying and exploring that's part of aging too right we don't have to be the expert in tech or i i'm a writer and and so i'm doing a podcast because that's something i didn't know and i was curious about it and we don't have to be the so-called expert we can always come back at life with this beginner's mind then and and no matter our age is that accurate for what you see Absolutely. And during my um, program, I did some teaching at the university for intro to gerontology. And one of the courses or one of the weeks, we would always talk about looking at careers and um, our lives from a work and purpose position. And I think that we asked the wrong question of our kids and and of of each other about what are you going to be when you grow up or what are you going to do? I think we need to reframe it to what are all of the things we're going to do in our life or what are all the things we want to do or be? Because it changes the perception and it gives us the, the permission to keep exploring, to try new things, especially with this new longevity and healthy longevity that many of us will experience. It's that we can have two, three, four, five careers and long-lived careers and you know successful endeavors. So I think we really need to try to change that narrative in America as well. I love that. What are all of the things we want to do in our lives? I was just talking to a friend about this because I was one of those nerdy kids. I was born knowing I was going to be a writer and I was, and I started in second grade and I've never stopped and I am a writer and blah, blah, blah. But I'm kind of burned out in one aspect of my career where I make the most income, right? And so I was talking to a friend like, well, I could do this and I couldn't. She's like, or you could do something that didn't involve writing. Honestly, it had never occurred to me, right? I could do something else entirely and still do the writing too, which I love. And um, I think that is a narrative that maybe our generation can change in the sense that when I first got my job, my grandfather and his ilk were all like, get, you're there for life. Good luck, get the gold watch after 30 years. And I was at this tiny little newspaper and I'm thinking, oh, you know, I don't wanna be here for life. But then life has become more fluid. And I think we need to open our thoughts to coincide with those changes. Absolutely. One of the, um, when I went back and finally decided to do my master's degree after those few courses, one of the people in the program was a retired urologist. He was in his um, 70s and he was back getting his master's in gerontology. And I think that that kind of opened my eyes throughout our lifetimes, we can all keep growing. And, you know, inherently we know that deep inside, but I think having that experience um, was a real eye eye opener for me. That's, yeah, that's interesting to think about. All right, I have much more I wanna know and I see the time ticking away. We're gonna take a short break right here on Polly Campbell's Simply Said. And when we come back, Dr. Sarah Teton Cantor, a gerontologist and expert in positive caregiving, I wanna know what are some ways we can do this? We talked about the discussion, what does positive caregiving look like and what did it look like to receive care in a positive way? We're gonna get to it right here on Polly Campbell Simply Said, part of the best business network of Electricast.
And we are back. I'm Polly and you're listening to Polly Campbell Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good and be happy. And we are back with Dr. Sarah Teton Cantor, gerontologist and author of Positive Caregiving. What strikes me is you talk about both caregiving, giving care and receiving care. Why is it important that we learn to receive care? And what does that look like? How can we be a good care receiver? That's a great question, and it's actually one I've never gotten before. Um, But I think it's really important to remember that this is a dyad. It's a relationship that we have between the care receiver, the person that's requiring some sort of assistance, either to help them through an acute illness or, you know, to help them with age-related changes or to adapt to age-related changes, and then the caregiver who is giving the care. It is a reciprocal relationship. And I think that's very important to realize. And together, I'm looking at it as a reciprocal relationship. We can really, I would say, turbo boost the the outcomes from both the relationship building and the personal growth on both sides. As a person who may need care, do I tell people what I need? Like, do it like this and here's what would help? Or do I wait for them to volunteer? I think it's it's really going to be dependent on individual relationships and communication styles, listening styles. And I know that sounds complicated, but it really doesn't have to be. Um, I think if both parties go into the relationship, and this is part of positive caregiving with a mindset of gratitude and empathy, forgiveness, love, and awe, that can really help open the communication um, where we're better listeners and better communicators. And so the empathy is a really big piece um, to make sure for both the caregiver and the care receiver, we all have different personalities. We all have different life experiences. So taking that into account is really important. My personality is very take charge. My mother's personality is very take charge. You can imagine how well we do with that. So when I am offering her care, what are some things I can learn and some approaches I can take so that I don't just barge right into her life and take over, um, assuming I know what she needs? Well, I think if it's a clear um, caregiving relationship where there is necessary care. Sometimes people just start doing some things for their aging parents or aging loved ones where it's, they might go to the grocery store for them, or they might, you know, do some things around the house and they don't really feel like they're actual caregivers, although they are right. But um, if there is a true situation where, you know, a relative has, an, again, acute, like they fall or they have a surgery that they need some assistance as they recuperate. I love um, having people put together a care partner mission statement. It's where the caregiver and the care partner can t- can answer. It's like three or four questions. There's a free workbook on positivecaregiving.com, but it's you know, what matters most? What is a successful caregiver, care receiver relation? What does this relationship look like in the most successful form? And what are the things that we enjoy the most together? I think that that, and then putting a, a statement together that's very short. There's a lot of examples, again, on the website, but it helps people stay focused and, um, you know, aligned on on the journey. And, and I think that can be really helpful, especially for if you guys know that you're both um, 
take charge people. Maybe that's part of, maybe we're going to be a little <laughs> bit more patient. We're, we're learning. We're learning. My, my mom is actually, you know, great. And neither of my parents, fortunately, need a ton of care. But it's interesting what you said, or really any care at this point, they care for each other. But it's interesting what you said that, that, sometimes picking up the groceries or taking a meal or what else to tidying up the house is caregiving. And that's something we can all benefit from, right? I've had a friend drop off a meal when things were crazy with, with our daughter and our lives. And we can broaden this perspective and, and care for each other instead of looking at it as something we have to do. And the, our loved ones reach a certain age or a certain health degree or something like that. This is a wider ranging thing. I love, again, this is why you get paid the big bucks, The, the big bucks, yeah. <laughs> no, but I love that concept because um, I think that when people are especially thrust into a caring for an older adult situation. It's usually a life disruption or as Bruce Feiler would call like a life quake where you, you everything's disrupted for a while. And that's a time when we can really listen and, and learn and hear things that um, are important in life, like the concepts that positive caregiving are trying to instill about gratitude, empathy, forgiveness, love and awe and keeping perspective, et cetera. But that can be absolutely um, spread out into all facets of our life, our children's lives, our coworkers' lives, our neighbors' lives. How do we spread those things and live in that perspective and mindset? That's the personal development part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Slowing down. Often we think that that adds to our to-do list when in reality, this is the life enhancement, right? When I was able to help care for my grandmother, it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. And I didn't always want to go. And sometimes it did feel stressful and sad. Sometimes it was a burden. And sometimes it was awesome. And now, in retrospect, it is, it, it was life changing for me. And that was such a gift that she allowed by allowing me to come in and, and be with her in those moments of her life. So I think your idea of reframing what this can look like is really essential because it can be all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you do talk a lot about awe and forgiveness and gratitude and, and those other things. But awe is something I don't normally hear about when we're talking about aging or when I'm talking, when we hear about caregiving. Why is that a component of positive caregiving? Well, I, I think it's the most, in my personal life experience, it's been the most important emotion to nurture and practice. And for a lot of different reasons. And when I did my doctorate degree on um, my, my the actual dissertation was looking at emotions in people living with Alzheimer's disease. And one of the things that even when cognition um, is no longer, um, I mean, if people are having changes in cognition, they can still experience emotions. And what that told me was that this is the thing that connects all of us. It connects all age groups. It connects all um, religions and, you know, cultures, et cetera. Every human has this ability to feel the emotion of awe. That moment when you experience something that for a moment time stops, you feel amazed and connected to something bigger. And those can be induced by nature or music or art 
or even great feats by by the human spirits, etc. But the that those moments are so um, refreshing and um, helps make you feel like you have more time at hand. It can make you feel more compassionate to others. And so I just think it's such a powerful emotion. And it has gotten a lot more attention in the recent decades. There's been a lot more research done. Um, Dr. Dr. Keltner um, from UC Berkeley has done quite a bit of research on this, but um, it's just a very powerful emotion that does not stop regardless of our age. A beautiful rainbow at five is, is as awesome as a beautiful rainbow at 85. Right. Absolutely. Yes. I'm a real fan. I, I A number of years ago, I wrote a book called How to Live an Awesome Life, because I think it's transformative when you think about how to notice those things so that you can feel those things. Right. And you, you do a lot of this in your work, too. You talk about taking in the emotions and in feeling them and then using breathing strategies and so forth to counteract some of the difficult ones to understand the emotions and the moments that calm or flare for good and for bad as a caregiver. Micro moments um, was originally a marketing term um, created by Google. And it was just talking about, you know, our lives with all the technology and the smartphones and all that thing. It's, it's hard to get people's attention and to really speak to people. And so micro moments was created as a marketing term, but I think that it's been, um, you know, used a lot in the psychology space and in self-care space because we are so busy and because we do have so much um, information and noise around us. How do we find even small moments to care for ourselves and bring us back to the here and now so that we can move forward forward with courage and resilience. And I think that that's what um, that micro moments of care that are that's in the book. Um, there's quite a few of them for caregivers that they can do. From a um, caregiving perspective, of course, if you're caring for an older loved one who has health issues or health-related changes, that can be stressful and scary and sad. And so those are very natural emotions. Um, that come with a caregiving experience or caregiving journey on both sides, caregiver and care receiver, or as I call them, care partners. But we can also use positive emotions as a practice to help balance those things out again so that we can keep moving forward with that courage and resilience that's necessary to, to continue to make the most of life. Yeah, I think I, I'm a big fan of micro moments and I, I've never heard that phrase before, but to me, it, it makes sense. We, you know, we get in this tendency, we as in me, to project <laughs> out, well, where am I going to be five years from now? What is my daughter going to be doing? How? Who the heck knows? But I know that if I focus on how I am showing up in the world right now, how I'm feeling in my body, how I'm feeling in my brain and my spirit, that I have an opportunity to make the next five minutes better and the five minutes after that better or more engaged or more interesting. And then you have this whole great life strung together of these little five minute moments, you know, and I think it's important what you said that it's not about avoiding negative feelings or feeling sad or scared. Change in life is scary and sad and aging is a change and it changes us throughout every phase of our life. 
But I appreciate this idea that uh, we can be more inclusive about it and thinking, yeah, this happens all throughout our life. And so we can learn how to navigate the older moments or the sicker moments or the, the quieter moments in a positive way, just like we do when we have a toddler running around or whatever it is. Sarah, is there anything you want to add or you think people need to know about how we think about this next stage of our life, caring for each other and, and our loved ones as we go forward? If we can help each other keep top of mind, keep things in perspective, and the power and the practice of gratitude, empathy, forgiveness, love, and awe, we all have the power to do those things. We all have the power to practice those things. And the more we do it, the more it becomes the lens through which we see the world. Think about what that would do to everything else in the world. If we take that in, you guys, we can do this stuff. It starts in our homes. It starts with our family members. It starts with our friends. And, and pick up Dr. Sarah Teton Cantor's book, Positive Caregiving. Go to our website. Check out the material. I learned a whole lot. And here's the thing, Sarah, that I really appreciate. It spun my thoughts in a way that allows me to feel more proactive and more connected and more aware because... I don't want my caregiving process for whatever it looks like to be something that hurts the people I love or diminishes them in any way, right? We have to learn how to do this. Absolutely. Thank you for the work you're doing. Where can we find the book and more about your work? Um, you can go to positivecaregiving.com, but the book is available at all online retailers, Barnes & Noble. And we are working very hard to get it into local libraries. So check your local libraries as well. Go to your library and tell them you want to read this book and go <laughs> on Libby and then you can request it. You know, they don't always have the book, but I do this on books I want to read. Go on Libby and request it and then they'll get the the book eventually. Yeah, That's good to do. And you can check me out on all the socials. My website is polycampbell.com. Join our Substack community at polycampbell.substack.com where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. All these little nuances of life that really we can pull together and use to elevate our experience and just have fun and be less stressed and be more forgiving and more grateful because all this stuff comes together and makes life more interesting. Um, you can check out my newest book. It's called You Recharge. And if you're thinking about bouncing into the second half of your year with renewed energy, I always think about this in the summer um, because the school year starts and fall and I settle in and think about the next half. This is a good book to help you think about it. Remember, aging, offering, and receiving care, it doesn't have to feel like a burden or like a stress or a problem. It can be an exchange of love and an opportunity for everyone involved in the situation to grow. When we do that, we can all create a positive exchange that will help us live well, do good, and be happy. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. 
And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Electric Acid.